0: Now we've been working our way through verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, and we've come to the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Verses 1 through 4, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. You do exactly what I told them to do. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. It has been said that money can take you everywhere but to heaven and buy you everything but happiness. That's true because the only thing that takes one to heaven is his faith in Jesus Christ and it is Jesus Christ who brings happiness. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of things that money cannot buy. Ted Marsh says that money can buy a bed but not sleep, books but not brains, food but not an appetite, finery but not beauty, a house but not a home, medicine but not good health, luxuries but not love, amusements but not happiness, a crucifix but not a savior. There are a lot of things that money cannot buy. But that is not to say that money is not important. Can you imagine what it would be like if people stopped giving to the church? Well, we'd have to call our missionaries home and we'd close down the BSUs and we'd have no more evangelistic services or crusades and we'd counsel our mission trips. As a matter of fact, if the people who have been faithful to give stopped giving, we'd close the doors of this church and be out of business. I'd like for you to imagine with me the year 2000 and they're taking a gray line tour of Durant. Now after on this tour, tour bus, after they've made the trip around the, the world's largest peanut <laughs> on the gray line tour, they're gonna come by the, uh, the location of First Baptist Church. The year 2000, And in the interim between tonight and 2000, people have stopped their commitment to giving. And I can hear the bus driver say, you're now passing on the left, the First Baptist Church of Durant. An endowed plant was once enjoyed by a privileged congregation that delighted in the benefits of membership without contributing up to their capacity. More and more demands fell on fewer and fewer shoulders until gradually a discouraged staff was depleted and its core of concerned members gave up in despair. The building continues to be a stop on the gray line tours, but the church to all intents and purposes is dead. Money can't buy everything And yet if we stopped our giving, if we failed in our commitment to giving, we'd have to close the doors of the church and we would miss one of life's greatest blessings. Now of all the reasons for giving, this may be the greatest. We'd miss on life's greatest blessing, that is the privilege of giving. Giving is an absolute essential element of the Christian life. And it is a necessity for the world mission of the church. Now the problem has been or is that in our emphasis or in our concern of Christian giving, we have have gone to two extremes. The one extreme is that every time somebody stands to speak, he asks for money. I mean, I've watched the electronic church And and I have been as dismayed as you have to hear about, in one hour's time, 10 minutes of gospel and 50 minutes of promotion. I mean, all kinds of commercials and appeals and promotions in which people are pressured to give. That's the one extreme. The other extreme is that we have been reticent and timid and bashful to say anything about giving. Now, folks, we cannot abdicate our responsibility to give. And I cannot abdicate my responsibility to preach on it. Now, what we're talking about in the text tonight is really not giving to the normal function of the church at Corinth. It is a it is a. Special offering, so to speak, a collection that was received which was over and above the normal giving. It was over and above the normal giving to the day by day affairs or routine of the church. Now, the reason I know that is twofold. I know it in the first place because of his use of the word collection, it is a word that refers to a special offering that was to be taken for a special need that was over and above the normal giving of the congregation at Corinth. The second reason I know that it is an over and above giving is because of his use of the word saints in verse one. He is obviously referring to a group of people that have a specific need other than the, the needs of the church at Corinth. So his collection, concerning the collection, was concerning a special offering that was to be taken over and above the normal day by day function of the church for a special need for special people. Now, this is the background. You need to get this. When the When Pentecost came and the church age broke upon that world, the church was born in Jerusalem. In the moment, in one day's time, there were 3,000 members of the First Baptist Church in Jerusalem. I mean, it was instantaneous, humongous, super church. And after that, there were 5,000 members added to that church so that in a in a, in a flash, like a gusher in West Texas, oil gusher in a, in a moment's time, almost eight thousand people became a church in Jerusalem. Now that church began to break up. It became it it it, it started out to, to move out away from Jerusalem down to. To, over to Antioch and to other places in the world, and that church became scattered by, by persecution, etc. But the mother church of all the churches that be, began to spring up in Asia Minor was the church at Jerusalem, and that church fell on hard times. In the 11th chapter of the book of Acts and in the 8th chapter of, 1, of 2 Corinthians, He describes, there is described here the suffering that the church in Jerusalem was going through. They were in dire straits. They were suffering. As a matter of fact, in the famine of that church, they were literally starving in absolute poverty. And the apostle Paul takes it on himself to get a collection to send to the city of Jerusalem to the first Baptist church. Now, there are two practical things that this helps us to understand. I want to give you these two practical things. First is the rightness of making a need known. The rightness of making a need known. Now, what the apostle Paul is doing is saying, there is a need here and you folks are going to have to meet that need. Now, sometimes I feel a little bit of, uh, you know, of, of timidity to stand in a, in a, in a pulpit and, and lay out the facts as the facts are facts. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that there is a rightness in, in establishing before the people a need that only they can meet. The second practical thing is that we can understand that our giving is not just for our own local church. Our giving is to be not just... Um, Expended upon our own needs and facilities. It has to begin there, but it has to be distributed to the needs of the world. Now, there are some principles that we need to follow in this method of giving. Okay, so number one, giving is to be, are you with me? Giving is to be systematic. Verse 2 says, on the first day of the week, let each of you, etc. On the first day of every week, giving is to be systematic. Now, the now the construction there and the language of the New Testament is is to suggest this, that this was to be an idea of definite planning. In other words, a family comes together. And they make definite plans to give systematically. Do you do that? I have a feeling that most of our giving is spasmodic, you know. If, if I come to church and I've got a little, I'm gonna, I'll give. And what he's talking about is a systematic plan that you have devised for you and your family. It needs to be taught in the home. Now, I learned my giving from my father. He was a man who, was, uh, uh, who never prayed in public. I never heard my father pray in public. And, and he, all, he went to church. He never had a place of leadership in the church. He never taught a Sunday school class. And he never let out in any kind of thing. He never went on visitation that I know about, except during a revival, he, he might go out and invite somebody to a revival meeting. And yet, he had an influence of my, on my life in many areas. One of those areas was, in the matter of giving, he just sat down. When I, I can't even remember, you know, I was too young to even go back to the, to the origination point, but I know that one time he sat down and he taught us that the New Testament teaches systematic giving. You need to do that in your home. Secondly, Giving is to be individual. He said, let each one of you. It is to be an individual thing. It is not something just, that is just the responsibility of the rich. Now, Now, folks, it is a sad thing that we're gonna depend on those who have wealth to support the church. It is an individual thing. It's not just for the wealthy and it's not just for the leadership of the church, and it's not just for the adults, young people. Let each one of you do it. It is an individual thing. We have an individual responsibility. Let each one put aside, which leads to the third principle, and that is that it is to be done continually. The Greek construction is in the present tense, and this is what it says. Let a person continually, systematically, individually give, and never stop. Now, what stops you from giving? Whether or not you can afford it. Now, when you tally up your, uh, uh, you know, the amount that you have left at the end of your check, you know, at the end of the month, if there's not enough there to give, what, what does that stop you from giving? What stops you from giving? I, sometimes people say, "Well, you know, I used to give." But I, I, I had a guy tell me this one time. He said, "I, I, I used to give to First Baptist Church in Durant." He said, I, "I've passed by the church and I've seen lights on down there." He said, "I know that you guys waste money. I'm not going to give my church money. I'm not going to give my money because you waste it." What stops you from giving? The text says that our giving is to be continuous and nothing is to prevent it. Third, fourth, it is to be proportionate giving. He said, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper. That is, as he has been prospered. Now, our giving is to be in proportion to our receiving. I need to say that again. Proportionate giving is the secret or the key in the New Testament, and it is to be in proportion to our receiving. Proportionate giving is the key to the Christian, uh, to Christian giving in the local church. Now, what is the proportion to be? Now, there are some who believe that the proportion, the guideline for giving is the tithe. I frankly believe that that for me is the, is the guideline for my life, to give at least the tithe. Now some will say, well that's legalism, that comes out of the Old Testament law, and we live under grace. No, Abraham tithed before the law was ever given and God seems to sanction that. I believe that for me the guideline is the tithe, that is the first tenth of my, uh, my salary. Now, I want you to listen very carefully because I don't want to be misquoted or be misunderstood. We would be hard-pressed to find in the New Testament a specific commandment to tithe. We'd be hard-pressed to find New Testament scripture that commands the tithe. That's going to shock you, but it's true. Now, Jesus one time said, and he was talking to Jews because it was a Jewish practice that went back to Abraham. He said, you tithe and you ought to do this, but not to leave the weightier matters undone. That is, he's saying there's even more important things than giving the tithe, that that you ought to do that, but not to leave the, the weightier matters undone. Now, you would have a hard time finding New Testament command to tithe. It's interesting that when Paul established Greek churches, Greek churches, he does not command the practice of the tithe in the establishment of the Greek church. Now, what you do find is this. What you do find in the New Testament is this, that that a systematic giving of the tithe ought to be the bare minimum. That's what you do find. What you do find is Zacchaeus giving up half of his possessions to the poor and and repaying four times what he's gotten illegally. You do find that. What you do find is Jesus proud of the widow who gave everything she had. What you do find, is Jesus saying to the rich young ruler, sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. What you do find is the practice of Jesus described in the book of Luke to give everything up and give alms to the poor and what you find in that book of Acts in the New Testament church is the complete total divestiture of all possessions and then giving away their possessions to the poor. That's what you do find. And now while we quibble over whether or not we should give the tithe, that's what you find in the New Testament. And while we quibble about, am I going to give the tithe? If you went back to the Old Testament and tried to trace through the teaching of the Old Testament concerning the giving of of one's possessions, you would find that they were commanded to give not just 10%, but 20 to 23 and a third percent of their income. That's amazing, isn't it? So what is the proportion of my giving? The New Testament teaches that I am to give sacrificially and cheerfully. Sacrificially and cheerfully. There's a fifth principle, and that is this. That we are to give privately. That means no pressure. Now watch this. The Apostle Paul said, I'm coming to Corinth and I want no collection taken after I get there. You know why? Because he knew that when he got there, his presence would put pressure on the folks giving. He said, I don't want to take a collection when I get there. Because I don't want people to feel the pressure of my presence. I want them to give without pressure. That's exactly the way I want it. Now, now, sometimes I have um, I felt, I've, I've had encouragement from some to, to, to talk more about giving, about the type. I, I, I have a reluctance at this point that I, I, I don't want it to be something that where, where folks sense that I'm putting pressure on giving. I would never do that. If you're coming to this church expecting To hear a lot of sermons on giving and and have a pastor constantly pressuring you to give, you'll never find that in this church. i make you that promise. Now, look at the arrangements in verses 3 and 4. He says, and when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Now, you've got to see what that says. It's just heavy stuff. Look at here. The the apostle Paul has such tremendous humility. Now, he's gonna get this collection and he's gonna get a group of men and and they're gonna take this collection over to Jerusalem. And, And the apostle Paul is saying, you choose the folks you want to take this collection to Jerusalem. When I get there, I'll send letters or credentials on with them. In other words, what he's saying is, I don't wanna have anything to do with handling that money. Now here is the leader of this church, the founder of it, and he is saying, "You choose whomever you want to deal with this matter of money. I don't want to know anything. I want to have anything to do with that. It's my philosophy entirely. I don't even have the combination. A true story. I do not know the combination to the safe. I don't want to know the combination to the safe." And I absolutely, I know exactly zero of what who gives in this church. I have absolutely no idea who gives and what they give. If you were to come up to me and ask me what does so and so give to the church, I would have absolutely no idea at all. I have never looked at what anybody has ever given and I have never been, down, you know, it kind of gives me a kind of a, 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 an unpleasant fee, uncomfortable feeling to have to take the offering plate sometime in there and put it where it's, you know, even the, the money that we they get on, we get on the, uh, Fridays when we have our men's lunch, and I just have a real big problem with that. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Now look at what he said in verse, three, verse four. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me." If it is fitting for me to go. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, frankly, he's saying, if we get enough in the offering that will be worth my time, I'll go to Jerusalem with them. I mean, he's preached the gospel. He has more important things to do than to take care of folks offering, you see. I mean, he's not going to go to Jerusalem with $3.98, you know. and and when he could be there preaching the gospel. It is important to get that. Not long ago, somebody made a survey of a a group of churches in 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 a certain area of the country and they came up with two amazing observations. These two amazing observations were these. Number one was that the church that gave the most was not the largest. The church that gave the most was not the largest. I can take you to a church in Fort Worth, Texas, and I have just been amazed at the giving of that church. The second observation this survey made was that the church that gave the most that was over and above the normal requirement or expenses of the day-to-day operation, the church that gave the most over and above the, the normal requirement of the day-to-day operation was the church that was the, was the most in debt. Isn't that amazing? The church that had the largest debt gave the most over and above the, the responsibility of that church. Now, there are three applications I want us to get on this, in this message on giving. The first op- application is this. That our giving is never to be dependent on the size of the church. The giving is not to be dependent upon the size of the church. But it is to be dependent upon the conviction of one's heart. Now, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, I think sometimes we think, well, that's a big church down there and they've they, you know, they got a lot of money. It is not to be dependent upon the greatness or the smallness of the church, but on the conviction of one's heart. Secondly, Our giving must be prompted from within and not pressured from without. It must be prompted from within and not pressured from without. Now you start getting pressure from this person and that person, turn them off. The pressure must come from the heart from within, not from without. And third, our giving is a gauge of our gratitude. It just is. There's no else, there's no way, other way around it. Our giving is the gauge of our gratitude. That that it just reflects how grateful we are for what we have. Now, I want you to listen to this, and then I'm through. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given. In the churches of Macedonia, that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I said, that is the most paradoxical, amazing statement you'll find anywhere. He said, their, their poverty overflowed in liberality. By the way, let me say that this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and the Apostle Paul is, is writing to this church that he's talked to, he's, he's talked to uh, in, in chapter 16 and he's building a fire under them because they hadn't done anything about the collection that he's talking about in chapter, chapter 16. And he's reminding them of the churches in Macedonia who out of abject poverty just overflowed into liberality. Verse 3, for I testify... That according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. According to their ability. The fact is, folks, the fact is, we are not, as as a church, as a First Baptist church, giving according to our ability to give. That's a fact. If we gave according to our ability to give, we would have more than we would could spend in the operation and ministry of this church. It's a, it's a fact we are not giving according to our ability. Look at verse 4. Begging us, he says, begging us with much entreaty, For the favor of participation in the support of the saints, can you imagine that folks coming up and begging for the opportunity to give? I mean, I've already sensed from you, you almost begging me to hurry up and get through with this. You know, when's he going to quit talking about giving? They're begging to give. Would you find some place for me to give? Isn't that amazing? And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And to us by the will of God. You know what happens? The people who give the the most are the people who have given themselves to God and to those who are leading in the ministry of the church. Let's pray together. Father, we know that it is the nature of love to give and that it is a part of our our authentic humanity, our authentic Christianity to give. And I pray that you'll lay on us the burden of giving, not just our possessions in a systematic and individual way, but to give ourselves to you. Because I pray in the name of Jesus and for His sake, I'd like to offer an invitation tonight. The sometimes invitations seem to be kind of strange to certain kinds of sermons. I want to make an appeal tonight to people. I have, you know, I've preached sermons on tithing. People got saved. Because while you preach what God lays on your heart to preach, He's going to bless it. Whatever it is. There might be some tonight who want to give their heart and life to Jesus Christ or to join the church. Or make a commitment to a systematic planned program of Christian giving. Beginning with the giving of their lives. If you have that urge or that persuasion from the Lord from within, you you, you do it tonight, would you? While we stand and sing.